happy 2020 and welcome back to the director's diary a lot has happened and first of all sorry for not podcasting more um but hopefully in this episode we'll get you all up to speed on what's been happening with me and and this episode is all about hiring and starting projects and um what better way to kick off 2020 with a podcast about those kind of things so with that in mind let's get on with the podcast my name is Alex Palmer, and this is The Director's Diary. It's no one's intention ever to share a diary, so if you're listening to this, keep it close and use it well. So the first note in my diary says, trust that one meeting 18 months ago. Um, and this needs a bit of context. So uh, we... Um, so I had a, a meeting with um, a big national organisation um, about a project that they were interested in and we pitched a, an idea and they, they kind of said, okay, well, that's interesting, we'll kind of keep you on the back burner. And, and I remember coming away from that thinking, should have should have said this or kind of, we didn't really feel like we nailed it. Um, but I think we gave a good account of ourselves and kind of what we do. Um, and anyway, no, we hear nothing from, from them for, for over a year. And then the same person we had the meeting with, um, gets in contact about 18 months later and says, loved what you pitched, um, for us. Um, it's not going to work out this time. And we were like, okay, okay. we kind of forgot about the fact that we did pitch. And then they said, well, we've got this thing coming up and would, would you be interested? So in my head, there was kind of, I think it came, definitely did come from that meeting. Um, and because we gave a good account of ourselves and kind of what we do, um, I think they're bet- they were kind of betting on the jockey and not the horse. So if the jockey is the artist or the company and the horse is the project, you bet on the artist doing a good job rather than um, rather than saying, okay, we'll come and do this project specifically. So I think that's definitely what it felt like. Um, that There were a lot of learning moments that happened in working with that big organisation, and one of which is something that I mentioned earlier on in, in this podcast, actually, and something that I kind of kicked myself about. Um I said earlier in an earlier episode that uh, when you're starting out, you should never undersell yourself or you should never do things for exposure or do things because you think you should do them or because it's better than saying no. And I think this is a little bit of an example of this where we said yes, because it's a large organisation we wanted to work with. We were kind of a little bit flattered as well to be part of their plans. Um, but we ended up agreeing to things, and this is completely my fault, Is it? but it's agreeing to things that are either not within the budget constraints, so trying to be too ambitious with what you've got, um, or doing things and thinking, oh, well, it's not a lot of money, but we'll, we'll do it anyway kind of thing. And it did cause us headache. It caused me sleepless nights, really, to to deliver it, because what we were doing was working over, working overtime for free, um, in effect, 
Um, and I don't really have anyone to blame other than myself for that because I, I said yes to it. And so the learning I took out of that is probably either to negotiate a higher fee or a longer time frame. Um, and I think there's actually strength in the in the response of we'd love to do this, but we need more time or we'd love to do this. But actually, for what you're asking, we need a bigger budget. And I think actually from an organization point of view, they see you and think, ah, actually, their, their work is worth more, I think. I think I'm, I think that's what I believe. Um, and it's easier to say it in hindsight and it's easier to say it if it's not you in that position. But I think that is a learning that I will take forward. And I think I'm, I think going forward, the learning is to be stronger with how much things cost and and what you're willing to do for what money. Easier said than done, though. Another thing that's happened is um, the biggest project to date has started for us, and what that has meant is we're working with a kind of we're working with a six-figure budget um, for the first time ever, and we're also having to hire again. So Riptide has always worked as a kind of collective of artists. I've, I've really liked working in that way, that we kind of expand and contract based on the projects that we're working on. I like the fact that Riptide work on different projects. You've got the kind of smaller, intimate shows. Um, Sonda is just about to come out um, this spring. That's, that is just myself, a couple of musicians, um, a poet... Um, and, a des- and an app designer, and that's that's every th- everyone in the team. It's kind of five of us, and that's and that's kind of small under fifteen k project. Um, and we've also got this this larger project on the on the go as well. So we, yeah, so we've had to go and hire again and look at an, an open call and look at what we need in the team, and that's the kind of key thing for me is is when what makes a good hiring process for you as a company so what we were first of all asking was what are we looking for and and what do we need from this project which i think might be a simple question might be the the first question many of you come come to but i think it's worth saying because what you're looking for also dictates what skills you need what kind of field you want the team to look like what is the hierarchy who is responsible for what and that structure was really key for me the the other thing is what kind of person do you want what type of person do you want and and is that reflected in the hiring process so some sometimes we have tried to push the boat out a little bit in terms of a more creative hiring process i don't tend to see cvs as the most creative document and i don't know why creatives are kind of marked against a CV. So something we have done in the past is, is say, don't send us a CV, send us something else. Um, examples of what we've received have been uh, a briefcase with a combination that we had to figure out or the, or the key was sent later, I think. And inside the briefcase was a kind of disassembled uh, application, which was kind of cool. Um, other things that stick out in the mind was a, a phone call from someone's friend 
and it was it was the kind of thing like I'm not applying for it but this is why you should hire this person which was I think was kind of interesting uh we've had kind of mini escape rooms in the post and kind of um and kind of one thing you needed to read one thing to solve the other another and one thing that I've just remembered as well that's kind of an online quiz of a person who you don't know and they would ask a question and say well what has this person done and by ask and by answering the questions you find out what they've um done or not done um which I thought was kind of surprising and kind of cool we ended up hiring that person as well which is kind of nice but for some roles you need I think a bit of stability and a bit of assurance about what you're going to get so for example we initially put out the, the same call out kind of don't send us a cv but for roles like a production manager or stage manager and i think what ended up happening is i realized actually we don't want a creative stage manager or a creative production manager we want someone who is very regimented has the experience behind them and can deliver on a big project like this so so that's an interesting kind of learning moment for me is kind of like okay well you can push the boundaries and especially in the arts, but there are certain moments where you do need structure and rigour and and that's where a CV might come into play. Another thing to think about and something that we really, I've, I've personally found difficult, was what questions are we going to ask in an interview? So for me, it's finding out a bit about experience and kind of expanding on what a CV gives you. But... I think if I was going to give advice for hiring, the CV gives you the qualities already. So I think the interview is more about the person and the people skills and whether you can see yourself working with them. And also the kind of I think the chats around the interview are very important. So whether you start talking about a certain thing that sparks a conversation, that might go massively in your favour because they leave that you leave the room and then they're okay well I had a really nice discussion there so it's just it's really interesting being on the other side of the table often I've been applying for jobs or or pitching ideas so it's a really interesting exercise I think and I think what I've learned is that it's really difficult to hire well it's really difficult to really Sometimes it's difficult to to say, okay, are these people being genuine or are they exaggerating skills that they have or are they going the other way? Are they underselling themselves naturally? Are they just really nervous? And would they be excellent in the role but they're just not coming across well? And then, yeah, I, I just think it's a really difficult thing to do. And there's, there's also the other thing of like, there's a, there's also how you come across to the public and to potential peers, of potential people who are also working in the industry. It's like, oh, how do you position yourself to... For us, it's important to come across as that kind of, we're pushing boundaries, we're ambitious, we're doing interesting work, but how do we also do that and also have rigour and, uh, yeah, and the kind of structure to it? It's a difficult balance, I think. One interesting question that we did ask, and this came from um, our producer, was what is the biggest misconception that, that people have about you? 
And I asked afterwards why she asked that question. She asked all candidates that question. And she said that the answers tend to reflect the truth of what their character is like. So some people said, I'm uh, I'm really um, not taken seriously, or I'm really loud, or I'm... Um, or it's my age that that comes as a downfall. Um, so it's I guess what it's saying there is what is what is the what is the one thing that people say about you to you? And I guess sometimes it's what do people say about you that you wish wish wasn't true. So it was a, just a really interesting. Uh, it was a really interesting question because I think it revealed more than the candidates hoped it would in some circumstances so yeah in in summary hiring is really difficult um and i think the things that i've taken away are the fact that i've had to be really specific in terms of what we need and often you i mean often in early on in that process you don't necessarily know what you need you know you need someone to do the get in and get out but you don't really know what that means in terms of the logistics. So I think it's been a really interesting and difficult detective mission to kind of uncover who is right for this role. Sometimes you know instinctually, sometimes people absolutely nail it in, in interviews and you know, and other times it's split and you're going on the kind of the finest of margins, which is maybe often a gut feel. And one thing as well we're doing is starting a big project. So um, that is creatively very difficult because the type of work we make is often an amalgamation of different experiences. So we never put on, or never say never, but we, we don't tend to put on plays. I don't think you'll see Riptide doing Hamlet, for example. Um and if we do, we will probably mix it with different tragic heroes and kind of or go into the mind of Shakespeare and do kind of all of Shakespeare's heroes together. Or we'll tell it from a different point of view. We'll, we'll, Hamlet won't be in it at all. We'll try and turn it on its head. Or you will be Hamlet and you go through the world and it's kind of and that would be kind of more interesting for me. So in terms of content and creation of content, we're at that moment where we're trying to figure it all out we are working broadly um with a midsummer night's dream so i i really didn't like shakespeare when i studied it but i don't know why i keep coming back to that text because it's a text of change it's a text of people running away from something to something else there's a kind of transformation there i'm interested in the illusion that is in the text and kind of it's quite meta for theatre and kind of magic and and those kind of things. And there's also a kind of power struggle throughout. So it's, it's quite an interesting dynamic. So And it, I know that it works in a nightclub environment, which is where this big project is set. So it's set in a hedonistic, futuristic nightclub. And the kind of core of it will be Midsummer Night's Dream. We will never probably, we will never sell it as Midsummer Night's Dream and the characters won't be called Oberon or Puck or Titania. They'll probably be named something else. So I think if you know the play very well, you'll be able to see it. But if you don't, it doesn't matter.
And what we've also done with that is uh, tried to mash it with other texts that kind of fit the same themes, and, and that's where we are at the moment, kind of trying to... I'm reading like I've never read before, really, and I've, that's one of my weaknesses, really, is I can't read really quickly. So I'm having to read a lot and kind of have time for ideas to set and I think that's really important when you're making work is that you don't try and rush it there's something to be said about having patience and having a day or two where you don't even think about the project so when you come back to it there's there's fresh ideas or even a fresh outlook of whatever was there before what I'm finding really difficult at the moment is um, we had to write a brief or a, like a short 200 word marketing copy for this thing that doesn't exist and this is kind of a, a key thing that is in the arts that we we pitch ideas or we get funding on a 200 word thing and then we have to kind of make <laughs> a whole project based on that marketing thing that we wrote because if we don't like it's not going to be the thing that you said it was going to be and so I'm finding that really difficult the kind of constraints of it I don't have the answers to it I'm just yeah I'm just finding it really difficult I think I think that's about being as open as possible but also keeping the mystery which is really difficult one meeting I had this week was about the marketing of the show and kind of and one thing that I I'm learning through making this kind of work is that you don't want to be too my my weakness is being too mysterious so trying to have so we did a project called swarm which was kind of the tagline was like enter the swarm but it wasn't said what swarm was so I think a lot of people were put off and and kind of frightened by the fact that they didn't they were going into the unknown I saw it as a kind of okay we want to be a bit mysterious we don't really want to give everything away we want people to explore um so it's about giving enough of a hook and saying to people that uh, you're going to be okay in this and you're going to have fun, but not belittling the experience in any way or trying to keep some mystery. I think you can do both. It's just a very fine line. So I want to talk briefly about how I work in, in terms of a director and in terms of content creation. Because I think it's probably not like most directors or most people who make content like this. What I tend to start with is a broad, so the broad world, first of all. So you come up with that, that kind of world, that's kind of the same with everyone. But what I tend to do, instead of going to text or content first, I tend to go with what moments do I want to give the audience? So what experience do I want to give? So that might be filling the room with confetti or that might be the moment of you being followed down a street or that might be the moment of everyone's phones in the room, like 200 people's phones going off at the same time. So that one moment is quite clear for me and then it, the struggle that I have is how do we put content to fit with that moment. And I guess I work with that way because the most important things in my work and in Riptide's work is the audience experience they are the heart of everything so we don't make work that is facing out to the audience that the audience just see they the audience are part of it and and I think to do that you need I think I found it easier to make 
experiences first. Yeah. So what challenges we're having at the moment is kind of coming up with the stories and the kind of plot lines and the and more details of the world. And another logistical thing that is kind of hindering that is um, not having a venue, <laughs> which is one of the first things you need in place before you get a designer on board, before you get any of the, I guess, any of the ideas, because it, unless you know what playing surface you're playing on, you don't necessarily know what the game is. So um, so we're looking at venues and we're looking at all, all sorts of venues and we've come up with kind of three key options and it's actually been really uh, difficult because the, the, the venues that we want have uh kind of big negative points on the negative column um and and some don't and some are kind of not what we would go for normally but we're kind of going okay well maybe this would be interesting so we're looking at um an old nightclub space for this um but it doesn't have access so there's a whole problem there with um and actually what i tell people i mentor is kind of the first thing when you're looking at venues is does this have access um, that's wheelchair access, that's access for people with a range of um, disabilities um, and also access in terms of is it central and all those kind of things but I think there's a certain type of decision that is made well no, there is a decision that is made if you're not making work that is accessible whether it is a conscious decision or not you are choosing to make work in that building um, which is accessible to some and not others. So I think that's a really... Um, and, and moralistically, um, or morally, um, I have said no to that venue because I don't want to be making work. And there's also a problem of taking public money from the Arts Council and making work that's not accessible, right? So it's, um, So that's kind of a key thing for me. And one of the first questions I ask anyone who we look at a venue the first another first thing if you can have multiple first things um, is kind of atmosphere and kind of what does the space give you architecturally that um, that you can play off and that you can um, that maybe you don't have to do so much design stuff to turn it into something else you can kind of work with the shell of whatever it is so we've been looking at a warehouse space that's kind of kind of run down um it's kind of dirty and grimy and, and that would fit with this kind of world that we're trying to create we wouldn't have to do any paintwork or any trying to make it kind of distressed or um we wouldn't have to make it look old because it is old so we all we would have to do is kind of light it in a way that's interesting and kind of architecturally use what's there um and we haven't gone with that space either because uh it's kind of a little bit too far up the city centre and also the it's currently being used for storage so we'd have to compromise I think massively um, and also spend a lot of money to kind of protect what's there in terms of other people's storage and also mask off the playing area so yeah it would have been really interesting if we could get the whole thing and then um, other considerations I think and this I learned this kind of about a year ago when I was uh, going to a festival of, of work, 
And as a punter, as an audience member, you go through this kind of um, exchange when you're buying tickets of, okay, what are the ticket? What's the ticket price? Okay, yeah, I'm willing to pay that. Okay, where is it? And if that, if the where is it is too far out, you might think again. Or if the what time is it on is a little bit later, or if it clashes a little bit with dinner time, or if it's a little bit too early and you can't get away from work. If that if that's a no, then you won't go. So for me, it's about trying to minimise audiences saying no at any point. So what is so and that also comes into the the swarm element of it being too mysterious so if i'm oh if i'm not sure what i'm getting into no if the ticket price is too high no or if the ticket price is too low sometimes like no i'm not going to that because it's free because there's a certain value i think we attach to things that we pay for um but it might work the other way like yeah i'm gonna go i've got nothing to lose it's free so in terms of looking for venue we're looking at kind of location first and then kind of curfew times how long can we keep it open for when do we have it kind of can we work there in the months leading up to it and that kind of thing access um so it often and it's kind of a rubbish thing but it's kind of i think it's the kind of thing that i'm learning is that some creative decisions have to sit on the back burner until the logistical elements of the show are in place which in an ideal world as a as a maker you would say I want to do this thing in a 10 story building and um but then it's like okay well what are the logistics of that something I've put in my diary as well under kind of starting projects is a really really important and I think really useful exercise that I did for this project um and something I would like to pass on is that you just list three to five um, things, like what are the most important things in this project? Like if you if you only hit those five things, what is really, really important to you? So, for example, in, in this project, I the first one is audience experience. So an audience experience of illusions and things not being as they seem and a shift shifting sands of the space all of those kind of things that's like that in a concept is the most important thing for me another thing that's really important is the interactivity in this show needs to be real my absolute pet peeve seeing things that give choice um which turn out to be non-choice like kind of if you're going to give me the choice of red pill and blue pill, if I choose one, it needs to have a different ending. It needs to be different to me choosing something. And I don't think you can say that you're an interactive experience if the, if the interactions are the same, but in a different order, or if it's same, but, or if it's slightly different and has the same ending, I think you either are fully or you're not. And maybe that's a bit controversial, but I think the interaction and the choices need to be real and it's something that we tried to really focus on the lucky ones that, that there were multiple endings for example based on your choices um, and also we tailored the experience based on a survey that audience members completed before buying a ticket so we used those answers to influence and tailor the experience to that person.
So you would get a different experience to your friend because you will have answered the survey differently because you have different likes and dislikes. Yeah, it's just it's just really annoys me when when I am duped as an audience member into thinking that my my choice actually matters when it doesn't. That's the thing. And the other thing that is kind of important for all of Riptide's work is um, and what what will be in this kind of top five is the mixture of spectacle and intimacy, which don't necessarily go together. But I think when we've done things really well, it's because there's a big thing that happens. There's kind of 200 people in the room, but there's also interactions with just one audience and one actor. And that kind of special moment where it's just you in the room and only you are getting it. That's the thing. So I hope that helps. And I hope that if you ask yourself what is the most... And I think most people do this subconsciously. So most people ask themselves and that's how they make it. But if you write them down, it really forces you to articulate what they are. I think also what a really interesting thing to do is kind of an aims and hopes with this kind of... When you're in pre-production. So um, something that I have said for this is that... um, this is going to be a, a large immersive piece of performance, which is kind of 100 to 300 people are going to see at a time. So you kind of you leave yourself open to kind of change, but this is kind of setting your stall out kind of things. Um, one thing is that I want over a thousand people to see it. So it's kind of you set a kind of clear goal so that you can measure it. Um, something that I'm reading up on is the kind of goals that are really goals that do better than others like statistically are goals that you can measure so if you say oh i want this to be a success well how does that look in a measurable way so does that mean that you're getting national partners to come and see it or does that mean you're um you're doing x y and z and for you those things are really important for that that whatever that work is um for me, another thing is that I want this project to be sustainable. So I don't want to be um, throwing away a lot of the set and um, and props that we use. So we'll probably set a number of, say, okay, well, we want at least 80% of our set to be recycled or to be given in some way. I mean, why not 100? I think, I think maybe we should go 100 for that one. Um, other things we're looking at is kind of interlinking narratives and, and multiple narratives at the same time and having that kind of structure of the piece. So, so that would look like a success for us if we if we managed to pull that off. Um, and other things are like, uh, well, we want it to be, to feel like a, your own Black Mirror episode, for example. So you can, and, and how do you measure that? Will you, do you ask for feedback for audience? Do you, like, there's, there are many ways of doing that. But I think setting your stall out early and going, okay, what do you hope to achieve by the end of it? Or what would success look like is a really important thing to do. And I don't think creatives do it enough. What I also like to um, kind of include in these uh, podcasts is um, some kind of motivational moments that I've come across in the week. So um, I've got kind of two that are kind of big changes this year for me um one of which is which you may have heard of is the kind of 2020 20 um morning so and this is kind of really 
uh, it's completely, it's not an exaggeration to say it's completely changed my life um, in terms of how I work and how productive I am. So the 2020 morning is, you set out an hour, you break it down into three 20 minute chunks and you do things, you do something in the first hour that is a kind of physical activity, there's a kind of really key research that's shown that if you raise your heart rate early on in the morning, it sets you up massively for your energy levels throughout the day. So, so I've been doing kind of 20 minute hit sessions or a 20 minute run or kind of things that um, increase my metabolic rate um, to be kind of sciencey about it. Um, and the science behind that is that it reduces, um, I, I think it reduces cortisol, which I think is the stress hormone and, and it increases your metabolic rate. Um, and it also accelerates focus. So when you come back down into the second um, 20, which is a kind of reflection 20, I'll just call it reflect, um, it increases your focus. So, um, and I think that the middle 20, so the kind of 20 past till 22 moment of that hour is is a moment of re- clarity it's for it's for mastery it's for meditation it's for journaling it's to visualize um it's it's a 20 minutes to think just to think it's 20 minutes to often in solitude but it's it's that time to ponder things and i think some call that meditation some use that for kind of mindfulness but um I found it really interesting to just journal and just to write, um, to, to write ideas, to, to just reflect on the past week. Um, and that's and that's really helpful. And, and because you've worked out and you've raised your heart rate, you come back into that kind of reflection, I think, in a better way than if you'd just gone into it initially. And the last 20 minutes of the hour is grow. So... That is where I read. That is where I learn. It's it's for you to be curious, uh, kind of um, to have a growth mindset. To and if you're learning and growing daily, those things are they just multiply. Um, something that I've read recently is if you're having consistently great days, you'll be having consistently great weeks, years, and lifetimes. And I think I think that's true. And I think as as kind of corny as it sounds. If you're reading 20 minutes a day, which I wasn't before this, but or if you're working out 20 minutes a day, that in itself isn't going to do anything. So um, it's like brushing your teeth, isn't it? The, the one You don't go to the dentist and go, well, I don't have to brush anymore. In the same way, you don't go to the gym and go, well, I don't need to work out anymore. It's the continuous brushing teeth of, you know, every day that builds up that kind of hygiene in the same way that reading every day builds that certain growth men- mentality and mindset. And I think um, I think with this, consistency is key. So you're not going to do it. You're not going to see any improvement um, overnight. It's the consistent um, nature of it that will help. So thank you very much for listening um, to this episode. I hope it was useful. Um, it's really just, I think it's just really important for me personally just to talk through ideas and to to explain my process to myself as well as to you guys. Um, I hope it's been useful. I hope you can take away a little bit of this. Um, and 
over the next coming weeks, we will be... Um, so I'll be interviewing uh, some people from a range of different backgrounds. So I, I know this has kind of been a lot of me talking, so we're going to get other people to talk and to explain their processes and, and to give us an insight into their diaries and their um, inner workings, which hopefully will be useful. So thank you very much. Please leave a review if you haven't already. It just helps us um, climb rankings and, and help more people um, get to this podcast, which I think has a inherent value in it. And I think that this is a conversation that artists and creatives don't have. Um, so thank you very much. Um, and I'll see you next time.